Up next, it's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Good morning, good morning. You're on Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. And we've got a great show coming up. Great guest. We've got Alwyn Paul, who's the educator's educator, uh, teacher, principal, owner of schools, policy wonk, uh, data analyst. We're talking to him about the state of New Zealand education and what we can do as parents and grandparents to assist with our kids' and grandkids' education in these Wokester times. We have an amazing story, Bob McCroskey, Family First, just amazing. Their ad, they're running a great petition, which you've got to sign, calling for the definition of a woman to be legislated. Uh, They ran an ad that was totally inoffensive, or they wanted to run an ad, been banned been banned by the New Zealand Herald, the Otago Daily Times, the Dominion Post, the Bay of Plenty Times. Oh, my goodness. What sort of world are we living in? Uh, We'll be hearing from Bob and also our regular guest, Tane Webster, talking about politics explained, back to the basics in the political sandpit. Uh, We'll be covering off some of the recommendations for how we vote and choose who will represent us in our parliament. Remember, you're on Real Talk with Rodney Hyde, Rally Check Radio. Remember, I love hearing from you. 2057 for a text inbox at rallycheck.radio. That's my payment. Getting your wonderful messages. I so love it. Even the ones that are somewhat critical with suggestions. I love them all. I love you all for being part of the Rally Check Radio family. Thank you for listening. What I want to achieve with RCR is conversation. And I think we have lost the art of conversation. With RCR, I just hope that people can learn that we can all be different, we can have our own opinions, have our own views, and have those conversations in a respectful way. Because respect needs to be given, it needs to be earned, and I think that we can prove that people of all diverse perspectives, ages, opinions, can have a platform, and we can work and talk together. And so that's what I hope we get to achieve with RCR. Just independent thought, alternative thought, and I I expect that I will be castigated by many people for offering different opinions. But, you know, as I've said before, there is no such thing as a wrong opinion. Opinions are like noses. Everybody's got one. The exchange of views, fair debate, no cancelling, no interrupting, no aggressive responses. We want to hear what people have to say. Whatever side you're on, and the listener, the consumer, with that information, can make of it what they will. That is the mission. It's a good mission. Thanks for tuning in to RCR, Reality Check Radio. If you like what you're listening to, or even if you don't agree with what you're listening to, then get in touch with us now. You can text us with your message to 2057. That's 2057. Or if you'd rather email us, you can at inbox at realitycheck.radio. We would love to hear from you, so get in touch with us now. This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10am. 
You're on Rally Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde, and we're back with oh, one of my special favourites, <laughs> National Director of Family First. And what a great institution that is, that you even have to campaign for family. But there you go, Family First, Bob McCroskey. Good morning, Bob. Yeah, always good to be on your show, Rodney. Nice to be back. Well, well it's wonderful, and I'm not going to begin by apologising to you for being wrong for all those years. I'm going to get straight <laughs> into it because there's a level at which apologising becomes virtue signalling. Yeah. But you've done a great thing because you've set up a petition. I got to sign it. I think I was certainly in the first thousand, but when I last looked, it was going off the hooks. Hook. Yeah. But who would have believed, I bet you didn't, that you'd even ever need to petition about such a thing. Well, who would believe that asking a simple question, what is a woman, what is your mum, would be deemed so offensive that all the major daily newspapers would get their heads together and ban the advertisement, despite the fact that we were offering money. That's why we've got you on, because you uh, 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 a campaign of public debate about what is a woman Mm. has been banned the the ads for that have been banned. We're going to get to that. But first of all, tell us about your idea for the petition. So uh, we wanted to set up a campaign, uh, what is a woman, and it was to basically communicate what we think is a biologically correct common sense definition of woman that's been carried down through generations. What is it, by the way, because it's a bit tricky for our Prime Minister? I know. Uh, adult human female, just like that. Three words, adult human female, and you've covered all bases. And you'd uh, expect a 10-year-old to get it, right? Well, most of them can. That's the interesting thing. It, but uh, unfortunately, if you buy into gender ideology, then it's one of the most trickiest questions in the world. Well, and if you buy into gender ide- ideology, it doesn't have an answer. No, well, it, it, the answer is kind of what Chris Hipkins fuddled his way through, which is, well, it's what you identify at as. But as as we all know, uh, what you identify at is totally different. I'm sure when you were young, you probably wanted to be a fireman and I wanted to be a policeman standing in the middle of intersections controlling traffic. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I've just confessed what I wanted to be when I grew up. Well, you're uh, bigger than that now. Yeah, and um, it, but we have got to the point where telling the truth is a dangerous thing to do, and so we so put the, together. Uh, sorry, I interrupted. You put together a petition. Well, before that, we actually put together just a website where we got a whole lot of women from around New Zealand to share what the definition of a woman is, what it meant to them, and so you'll see that on the website. What is a woman? Nz. And uh, there's a you know little quote from each of these women, and and we basically just said, unfortunately, the extreme gender ideology being pushed in the media and in educational institutions and government ministries and the corporate world is trying to redefine it. But if you redefine it, then I mean, one of the classics, Rodney, is that we're about to enter into this amazing sporting world sporting stage of the Women's World Cup. Well, we at the moment we're not quite sure how to define what is a woman. So, who actually qualifies to play in that tournament, and is this a chance for me to get my failing um, soccer career back on track by um, you know identifying as a woman and getting on the in, in the women's team? I don't think I'd even I'd, I wouldn't make the grade. But no, but it's silly, isn't it? Because mm. 
you can't have a women's world cup logically logically no no and so and- tell me what is the petition calling for so basically, we want to see in, and you'd understand this as an ex-politician, we want to see women to be defined as an adult human female in our laws, public policies and regulations. And this will avoid situations where you've got uh, biological men going into women's changing rooms because they think they are a woman. It will avoid um, biological boys enrolling in girls' schools and wanting to use the girls' toilets and changing rooms, uh, it, 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 will, it will stop biological men uh, playing in women's sports and uh, making it a completely uneven competitive game uh, in, in whatever sporting code it is. So it's bringing some common sense uh, back to our public policies and our laws because we've lost it. And as you'll know, Rodney, uh, beginning of this year, uh, end last year, sorry, the whole of Parliament, all 120 MPs voted to introduce a law, which means that your birth certificate is not based on what the doctor says when you're born, it's a boy or a girl, it's based on purely what you identify as at this current time, and of course you can change that uh, um, marker on your birth certificate as many and, times and as you want. And not even have it registered that you've changed it. Well, you register it on the birth certificate. Uh, you can change it on the birth certificate, but... Uh, but no one knows afterwards that you've had it changed. No, no, that's right. And there's I, no I, medical grounds for doing it either. It's purely no. based on identity. And you do it online. I didn't believe that that had happened. I didn't believe that mm-hmm. every National MP had supported it. And ACT MP. And ACT MP. And I looked it up. Mm. And... My jaw hit the desk, yeah, because it was gobsmacking. So this petition is making a very, very serious point, because if we don't achieve this, women are erased. Mm. Well, I mean, how do you, as we say in the uh, campaign, how do you target specific women's health issues? How do you target the gender pay gap, if there is one? How do you target violence against women? How do you support the women's refuge? How do you uphold the nation's history of fighting How for women's rights? How do you keep women safe? Yes. I mean, it demeans mothers and it demeans women. It demeans sisters and aunties and grandmothers. Uh, it, you know, and, it's, and un- unfortunately, it's inserting a biological lie into our discussions. And look, it's not an anti-trans thing as such because if people want to live their life that way, so be it. Uh, you and I both know or knew Georgina Beyer. Mm. Uh, you know, it doesn't interfere with that, but it does interfere when you start changing definitions to suit the ideology. And uh, once a female, always a female, once a male, always a male, you may want to identify as something else, but that doesn't change what a male and female is. But doesn't it also take away the sacredness of woman in terms of being able to give life and nurture Mm. a new baby and a new whole human being, which is a miracle, and doesn't it also take away the beauty of woman and motherhood that we've all experienced with our mothers and our wives and our daughters? And it's such a wondrous, beautiful thing 
And this modern era wants to make everything commonplace and ugly. You know what I mean? It, like a woman yeah. and men, it's a beautiful, sacred difference that they mm. want to blur in little kids' heads. You know, mm. the princess and the prince. You know, it's a wonderful thing to grow up with. Yeah. And your daughter is your little princess, right? Can't have that now. Um, the petition, what's your goal with the petition? Well, the the goal, the aspirational goal is to achieve what it says, which is to uh, have a clear definition of woman uh, in the laws and public policy and regulations to to avoid any doubt so that when you go to a woman's toilet or when you go into a woman's changing room or when you watch a woman's sport then you uh, or, or when you go to a woman's prison, then it's quite clear that there is a, a biological marker that has been put in place that isn't going to place women at risk. It's interesting, Rodney, you, you see a lot of dudes who suddenly uh, want to play in women's sport, but there doesn't seem to be a massive lineup for uh, women wanting to play in men's sports. No. Uh, no. <laughs> or 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 women wanting to go into men's changing rooms. You know, people sort of say, well, hang on, why, why is it just about what is a woman? It just seems that uh, yeah. women are particularly at risk and vulnerable and, when you have biological men coming into their spaces. And, and I mean, and, then, and we've had examples. You want to go to a, you might be a woman who wants to see a woman doctor. Hmm. And it's not a woman, but yep. she's a woman doctor. You want to have a rape crisis group where women can talk and one of them's a man. Yeah. I mean, you want to go to a woman's only ward and there's a creepy dude in there. I mean, mm. this is terrible. Now, the reason I got you on, A, I was quick to, quick to sign this petition. Um, we all realize it's a complete madness that we have to define what is obvious to everyone centuries past. Mm. So thank you for that opportunity. But I was staggered to learn to that you have bought ads <laughs> in the newspaper and the newspapers to a newspaper have banned them and I want you to walk me through what has happened here. So we wanted to place full-page ads in the major daily newspapers. So uh, we ordered full-page ads in the New Zealand Herald, the going going down the country, New Zealand Herald, Bay of Plenty Times, Dominion, Dominion Post, which is now the Post in Wellington, uh, Christchurch Press, Southland Times, and the Otago Daily Times. Now... They come under three different companies. New Zealand Herald and Bay of Plenty come under NZME. Dominion Post, uh, Christchurch Press, Southland Times come under Stuff, and ODT comes under Allied Press. So three independent companies. Uh, two out of the three companies, all the, the Stuff and Allied Press said, yep, uh, the ad's okay, good to go. We'll be putting them in today. Uh, so they were booked for a specific day. The New Zealand Herald were sort of mucking around and dodging and diving and wanting to yeah, see who them. Yeah, was, who was dealing with them? Did you have an ad agency or yeah, you we, yourself? Yeah. 
Yeah, so we and, had and an it, advertising agency who was, you know, deals with them all the time. Uh, and actually I was, uh, you know, just talking to them just before I, this interview and I said, have you come across this before? They said, no, no, it's just, it's quite rare exactly what happened, although. And, and do you know if the New Zealand Herald had seen the ad? Yeah, they'd all seen the ad, uh, the, and and because you got yeah, they they definitely want to see the ad in advance. Uh, interestingly enough, the New Zealand Herald wanted to see the website, and then wanted to see what the women were saying that are quoted in the website. So this is just women talking about what it means to be a woman. So they were going to a level that um, is quite interesting. I'd be interested to know whether they delve deep into a Greenpeace ad, yes. uh, you know, website or a. Um, the uh, animal rights uh, website or or any you know are they delving through all the the uh, all the political ads they're going to be hosting and getting money from shortly are they going through all their websites to check it that they agree with everything uh, so it was it was quite interesting just the level of um, scrutiny that the Herald were requesting but we thought we were getting there uh, and and in fact this time yesterday uh, all the ads had been approved. Uh, but this including is including the Herald. Including the Herald, had they taken your money? No, the the money was to come. That yeah, <laughs> that was interesting. You don't pay in advance on these ads, fortunately, um, because it's you know sort of. I think it's because it's through the agency, so there's a level of trust. But I have gotten my hands here an email that was sent to the agency, which I was just checking that I can quote before I spoke to you, uh, Rodney and. Let me just read it verbatim. So this is from the ODT, and they say, NZME heard, so this is the New Zealand Herald, and I have plenty of times, NZME heard we got uh, grief for running it, which we didn't because this was from the editorial teams, not the commercial teams. Um, we pulled it because we, oh, hang on, I haven't printed, hang on, I'm just going to have to look at this on my phone because I've printed it out on the printer and it hasn't quite um, made it out properly. So let me just grab that again. Um, fine, Bob, take your time. Yeah, this okay, is... here we go. Let's get the whole thing because that didn't quite make sense, did it? Okay, so they said, um, NZ me, uh, so obviously the ODT got a bit of grief, and then NZ me heard we got grief for running it when we didn't because we haven't run it. So uh, NZ me pulled it. That's the Herald. Stuff got wind of it and pulled it as well. This was from the editorial teams, not the commercial teams. So this is the editors coming into the into the area, not the um, uh, you know the sales reps as such. And then the ODT says we pulled it because we wanted to make sure the industry. We're all in it together. The CEOs and editors are speaking now, so I will know and I will let you know that's all I know at the moment. So what this is basically admitting <laughs> is that you've got the um, top honchos of three independent media companies banding together and deciding that they're going to ban an ad, which basically says, what is a woman, what is your mum? And then go to our website uh, and stuff did clarify it later on with our agency, and they said that it was decided. They apologised, wanted to confirm that it was a late decision, and it was decided that quote the campaign doesn't align with the values of stuff due to the sensitive nature of the content. 
Well, for, for anybody who looks at the ad, I mean, when you think about all the stuff that they put on their website, <laughs> it's I mean, sensitive, isn't it? What is a woman? An adult yeah. human female. Oh, yeah. it's sensitive, Bob. Very sensitive. Yeah, you know, it's bordering on H speech. Oh, yep. mm. what on earth do you make of it? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, I think we should all be concerned because what you've got is you've got independent companies who just by chance all happen to be funded by the government and have done very well out of government funding who are now dancing together and are censoring uh, what can and what can't be advertised. And, you know, it's it's not offensive. It wouldn't, it wouldn't get in trouble with the censorship board, I don't think. I think the Advertising Standards Authority probably wouldn't have a problem with it. This is just a unilateral decision being made by uh, the heads of the major daily newspapers. And I guess the other th interesting thing, Rodney, is that uh, you probably haven't seen much coverage of this in the mainstream media, even by other media players. They're not even no. reporting that this is happening. So no, normally you'd expect this to be controversial because um, I've got the ad here, mm. right? <laughs> and what oh. it is, can I describe it in my terms? Yeah, no, do that. But, I, you know, we better just warn everybody that highly offensive material oh, is about yes. to be shared by Rodney yeah. Hyde. Yes, this is, um, what was the phrase they used? Highly uh, it was, um, hang on, values, the, the campaign doesn't align with the values. Okay, so here's here's the values <laughs> that it doesn't align with. It's got a picture of a lovely nana-looking lady and a young woman, and it says... Oh, sensitive was the word you were looking for, the sensitive, sensitive nature. So this is sensitive information, Rodney, tread yes, carefully. I'm about to share it, and there's a big question, what is a woman? What is your mum? Everyone's mum is unique. But one thing you do know, your mum is a woman. But what does it mean to be a woman? Find out and join the conversation at whatisawoman.nz. I can't believe you read that on air, Rodney. You're, you're going to be subject to a Broadcasting Standards Authority complaint now. And you were paying money for a page ad to simply ask, what is a woman, what is your mum, mm. to say that you're born to a woman and to direct you to a web page where women are explaining what it means to them to be a woman yep, and where you can sign a petition to have Woman defined by our parliament as adult human females. Yeah. That's it. Yep. Now. But see, it is controversial. Let's let's face it. The reason we're doing the campaign is because we're forcing a question in front of uh, the general public. Uh, and that is that if we can't define some basic things like this, basic biology and truth, then we're in trouble. And one of the challenges we have uh, given to people is that we want them to ask their local uh, candidates if they can define what is a woman. Because my my personal belief is if 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 a political candidate 
uh, does a Chris Hipkins and cannot answer it or obfuscates around the definition of a woman, why would you trust them with other key political decisions that they're making uh, which are going to affect your life? I mean, you know, this is just a basic it's, premise. It's a, it's a fabulous question, isn't it? Because even if you prepped all day, if you're a lefty wokester, yeah. you actually still can't answer it. Yeah. And if you're a sensible person and you don't even have to be, you could be a lefty, but just not a woke star, yeah. you can answer it in a heartbeat. Yeah. Um, in fact, you'd sort of look a bit quizzical because it's not even a question that needed to be asked five years ago. Mm. Because when it when it came up, what is a woman, I had to scratch my head a bit because I couldn't think <laughs> of the phrase to define it because it's sort of obvious. Yeah. Um, so that in itself is amazing that we need legislation to define it as dumbfounding, but that your newspapers in New Zealand, to a man, may I say, because if we're going to be in trouble, we may as well be properly in trouble, Mm. have said we can't run that ad because it doesn't align with our values. So riddle me this, Bob. What because of the values? sensitive nature, Rodney. Very well, sensitive. Riddle me this. What are their values? Well, their values are that you cannot debate certain issues, uh, and they've listed them. And, of course, you know, some of them are gender ideology, of course, and global warming. I mean, they've made it quite clear that they're not going to go near treaty? some of these issues. Treaty? Uh, yeah, treaty, that's right. So, in, in effect, they're not really acting like the fourth estate, are they? They're they're basically saying we have a narrative that we are pushing. And I guess to their credit, they're being up front. Uh, this is just a reminder, I think, to the general Kiwi punter. I mean, one of the re- the questions that I asked in the media release that I put out was if they're not if they're willing to block this type of discussion around something so basic, what other uh, facts aren't we getting? What other policy aren't we getting? Uh, that parties, uh, and I'm sure you, Rodney, have come across this frustration when you would be campaigning, um, you know, as a politician, you'd you'd read the newspaper and say, well, hang on, I didn't say it like that, or why aren't you yeah. reporting this, or why isn't anybody covering this particular policy that I'm talking about? We very much get our source of information, unfortunately, from, uh, you know, what the media report, and if they're pushing a narrative, and of course, this begs the Biggest question, Rodney, where's the disinformation project when you actually need them? <laughs> well, there's been a coup. Has it? Yes. Has it been taken over by um, factivists, people who want to actually talk about the facts? No. What I'm saying, yeah. there's been a coup in New Zealand where what is a woman has been decided. There was never a vote on it. Hmm. No one ever had a say on it. And now it can't be debated. Yeah. And what is a woman is an irrelevant question and a dumb question Mm. because we can't define it because you might choose to be one for a wee while and you might choose to be something else later on. Mm. And you might be a little little boy who decides to be a woman when you're nine or ten and that's perfectly your right. That's a coup. And now you can't debate it. That's a tyrannical, violent coup. And our so-called fourth estate, 
who declare themselves to be independent of government have joined it. Yeah. Yeah. And who exactly could take offence from your ad? Certainly not Georgina Bayer, who I knew well. Mm. Certainly not half a dozen trans ladies whom I know. But suddenly it's become offensive to New Zealanders to ask the question or to define a woman. Or to have a different opinion. Or to have a different opinion. Mm. So where are you going to take it, Bob? Well, we've still got uh, advertising in terms of social media and billboards. um, And look, we may end up having to do a litter box drop. I'm not quite sure because I don't know if you remember that Speak Up For Women actually put up a billboard on one of the buildings in Wellington and it was just um, the dictionary definition of woman. This was about a year or two ago. Yes. And it just said adult human female, so it just looked like a diction- an image of a dictionary shot of of what is a woman in the definition. And a whole lot of upset New Zealanders uh, rang the company, I think it was Go Media, and Go Media actually pulled the sign down um, because uh, what are you they know, being threatened with? Well, they they can't be threatened with anything. They just get a very um, very strong pushback from gender activists, and they kowtow to it. Because I think what happens is these crowds have done up, done their rainbow tick, mm. and then they have the likes of a Chanel Lau deciding what it means, that you've ticked the box, yep. and that if you run that ad, you'll lose your rainbow tick, and we will attack you and make life miserable for you because you're not living up to the ideals that you promised us. Because... Yeah. And, and like you think you sign up to a rainbow tick and you think it's basically costless because you're just going to be fair to everyone. Yeah. Would that be a fair comment? Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, we could also talk about the whole spark debacle, couldn't we? Yes. And, and the fact that, um, you know, a major telco uh, suddenly wants to align itself with with the gender activist Chanel Lal, who whipped up a lot of hysteria and a lot of, uh, you know, angst at Albert Park, wouldn't let Posey Parker just talk about what it means about protecting women in public spaces. Uh, and and yet, you know, he gets the Kiwi Bank New Zealander of the year. So everything is pretty upside down. Uh, but, it, but it seems like a lot of these corporations uh, are going woke. Uh, and so one of the projects that we're actually working on at the moment is a there's a website called wokeup.nz. It's not actually live yet, but we're basically just going to put a, a list together of right. some of these companies so that people can make informed choices uh, as to what what companies they go to, which ones uh, are, are funding, you know, sex change operations as part of their employment process, which ones. I mean, I think New Zealanders are getting sick of being served a, a side serving of wokeness and virtue signaling when they purchase stuff and being told to think about their personal pronouns and their sexuality. And, uh, and and I think parents are starting to wake up to the fact that our children are being uh, indoctrinated with a pretty radical messaging around 112 uh, genders and Is it 112 sexualities. Now? Uh, well, it keeps increasing, so I, I might have lost count I heard already. it was 78. <laughs> yeah. No, it's 112 lost. genders. No, I've, I've got um, documented proof that that's been pushed in high schools in New Zealand. 112 genders. Yeah. And there we, are. we grew up struggling with two. I um, know, and then we wonder why kids are stressed. 
tell me, Bob. Uh, I think we are waking up. Hmm. What can listeners who want to help advertise a petition, sign up to do a pamphlet drop, where could they go to offer up some support for your campaign? Well, I think at the first um, point of call is just to go to the website, whatisawoman.nz, and, and sign the petition. That's certainly a good start. And then the second thing is if they know um, the local newspapers, if they have involvement with them, is to is to challenge, you know, the Bay of Plenty Times and the ODT and the Southland Times and the New Zealand Herald, uh, write letters to the editor and ask why are they shutting down speech. I haven't seen too much political comment. I did see a media release come out of Winston Peters saying that it was a shocker what the newspapers had done. So that was one that I saw. Uh, but, um, yeah, I'll, I'll, we'll have to go and have another It'd look It would be great see. to get Chris Luxon and David Seymour on the message mm. about what their position is. Um, I myself will try and get these newspapers on the show and to ask them. Um, but again, the uh, it's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. You're on Reality Check Radio. We're talking to the wonderful Bob McCroskey, the National Director of Family First. He has organised a petition for having Parliament to define a woman as an adult human female, the biological definition. He was had the newspapers agreed to run a full-page ad they tell us they're desperate for money and for advertising. And at the last minute, at the 11th hour, they pulled mm -hmm. it. They pulled it at the level of their CEOs who were in discussions with each other to decide one couldn't do it and the other's not. Mm. And they decided that the ad was altogether too sensitive and didn't align with their values as newspapers. So clearly their values aren't motherhood and apple pie, which used to be accepted as the great example of something that everyone would agree on. They certainly don't ally with free speech. They certainly don't ally with letting New Zealanders have their say and their platform and their discussion. Mm. So they have revealed their values. Bob, um, all power to your arm. Please keep us in touch how you go with this um, campaign. And any time that you need to let off a bit of steam, come on our <laughs> show. Anytime you want to can, can, uh, talk to our listeners, just let me know because you're doing literally God's work. Well, thank you. Um, the, just the other update is we have engaged um, uh, lawyers and we are, you know, looking at um, sending some terse letters and just finding out whether they've breached the Human Rights Act and also the Bill of Rights Act. So, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's, I think every New Zealander should be concerned when a newspaper's band together, the fourth estate band together, and um, make a unilateral decision like this. For sure. And, and look, people may say, oh, look, they don't like our campaign. My warning, as I warned when we were deregistered as a charitable trust, is you might support this decision, but what about when they come under a charity that you like or when they come under a campaign that you like and the newspapers just decide, oh, we don't like it, 
so we're not going to print it. Uh, Rodney, it begs a question though, are they are they so flush in funds that they don't want advertising money anymore? Is that the effect of government They're funding? So rich. I mean, that's that's a million dollar question to me. So rich, you'd think they'd just jump at any advertising. If you had to put it in the newspaper, I would never have seen it. Mm. I only saw it because they <laughs> didn't run it. And I will encourage all our listeners uh, to go to Family First, get the ad. And put it in every social media that you can. Email it to everyone you know and spread it around because yeah. through social media we can reach more people than you'd get through the newspapers, Bob. Yep. And also, uh, it, who cannot support mums? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. You with Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. We've got a long way to go. Lovely to hear from you, Bob. Good luck with your campaign. Oh, good. Thanks, Rodney. That was Bob McCroskey, the National Director of Family First, uh, a true national treasure on a campaign, basic campaign you wouldn't have needed to run five years ago. Now he's been banned from running it by the fourth estate. You can't make this stuff up. This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m. People are struggling to have conversations and connect with others that they don't completely agree with on every topic. And I think that's probably the biggest problem that we need to try and solve is how after all this division and after all this separation, do we end up bringing people together again? And what does unity really look like? New Zealand faces some pretty big issues. First one is COVID in the aftermath. There's no getting away from that. Second is racial division. It's being ginned up and it's dangerous. Another issue that maybe people haven't got their head around yet is digital currency. What form does that take? Is it programmable? Will it be used to manipulate behaviour and patterns of behaviour? Those questions need to be asked and answered. How can you have fair, open, democratic government by people who are appointed? It's a ridiculous idea. And if that idea is taken to its zenith, then this country is in real trouble because democracy, one person, one vote, where every vote is of equal value, has got to be the foundation of a modern New Zealand. What's true, what's not true, how our kids are to be educated. And, you know, I have a great fear for the future. I think we know from history where this could end up. Our text machine is now live. Send us your thoughts by texting your message to 2057. That's 2057. So get in touch with us now. You're on Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. And we've got along with us, well, it's the sort of topic of the day, isn't it? We've got Alwyn Paul, who's, I think, the most experienced educator I know and who has great interest in measurement and the performance of New Zealand schooling. Uh, good morning, Alwyn. Morning, Rodney. Uh, tell us, how, in a sentence, how are we doing in New Zealand schools? Uh, well, uh, could do better. 
Isn't that how you could write do, reports? Could do better. <laughs> yeah, except in this case, it could do a heck of a lot better and really should be. How are we doing? Do we know how we're doing compared to some years ago? And do we know how we're doing compared to other countries? Yeah, the, the some years ago, um, it, it's been something, uh, in, in a sense, a theory or an explanation I've been trying to, to formulate because you know, we can look back and and people will say, well, New Zealand education used to be world class um, and world leading and um, all of this kind of stuff. And, and, you know, there's evidence that to some extent that's true. Um, you also have to have to look at the situations around that. So, for instance, after World War II, uh, you know, I, I think the RSA for, for my sins, uh, my first degree was economics. And you, you look at that time when New Zealand kind of streaked ahead in terms of gross domestic product and uh, particularly exporting because we have very free access to Britain. Um, but you you had production uh, throughout Europe, uh, particularly, you know, really hampered um, because of uh, a lack of resourcing and, and, and destroyed resourcing through World War II. And, and so New Zealand, you know, not being affected in anything like the same way, had this tremendous opportunity. I see. Yeah, and, and we we grew because of that. Um, but one of the other things I, I think back, let's say, that even the 1970s and 80s, is that we had a much stronger um, agreement between families and schools as to what a good education looked like. Yes, yes. And um, I think that since that time, uh, if you like, the gap between uh, what a family would hope is happening for their children uh, and a family's ability to influence what is happening with their children, uh, the gap's growing. And um, in some pretty obvious areas when you kind of stand outside of it and have a bit of a look. So, for instance, I think the professionalisation of ECE has kind of meant that parents feel like uh, if if I want anything that feels like education for my preschooler, that's something that happens at ECE mm. with this chain, trained preschool teacher. Mm. Whereas I don't, I don't think that was something that, we particularly thought about 30 years ago. So the idea is that nowadays we leave schooling up to the teachers in the schools. Yes. Whereas 30, 40 years ago, mum would be home with the kid till they're five. And I can remember my mother and me floundering around on the kitchen floor as there would be those educational shows for preschoolers on the radio. Right. Yeah, yeah. And she would be taking part in it. And then likewise, when I was at primary school, my mother would be drilling us and doing the sing song for the times table. Uh And she took a very active role in making sure we got the basics. Yeah. Well, parents are by far and away the most important people in the education of the children. Mm. And I think the other thing that we have done, um, very significantly as a society, we've associated being a good parent, being a good uh, first teacher 
um, with wealth. And, you know, for a lot of people who grew up, I'm, I'm, I'm going to point out, Rodney, that you're fractionally older than I am. Um, <laughs> but, but by, for, a, for, by a smidgen. <laughs> for a lot of people who grew up, uh, let's say, back in the day, because it just flows off the tongue, um, I, I, I can't even remember having many books in my home. No. And, and at times I've really struggled to think, how come I did okay at school? Because my mum left school with no qualification. Yeah. My dad couldn't even really recall school. Yeah. Um, and, and I know that to them I was, they thought I was from another planet. Um, and But the only thing I could really think of is that my mother talked incessantly. And um, so the amount of language and words yes. that I got uh, was was sort of a big part of it. And, you know, we now know that that's crucial. Um, for her, it was just, you know, a pretty annoying habit. Um, and same, you know, I, libraries and schools, they're under threat now. And I, I didn't really know this. This is, this is pretty new information for me. Um, but I was talking to a lady here in Cambridge who is in charge of the library at Cambridge High School. And we were talking about education. And she said, well, well do you know that you know, libraries in New Zealand schools are under threat. And I went, no, that's news to me. What do you mean? And she said, well, we're talking societally about this uh, literacy and numeracy issue, but libraries and schools are funded out of operational funds. And therefore, it's a tug of war uh, between library or, or using it as a classroom. And, and she said, in a good number of schools now, the libraries no longer exist. And in fact, at Cambridge High School, she's been uh, really excellent in, in bringing the library up to date and, and getting it functioning. Oh, my goodness. And, and um, yeah, to me, I was like, wow. And so she's written a, a, a policy piece that I'm about to submit um, to say that, you know, we really need to make sure that that's preeminent. And that's where I got my books from, school libraries. So they're saying, well, everyone's got to have a laptop to come to school. They can yeah. get their books on the laptop. They can get 101 books on their laptop and walk around yeah. with them. They're not coming to the library. Therefore, we don't need a library. Yes. Or our school's growing in the ministry. I mean, I don't know if you you, you saw, but um, saw one of the strangest things. Uh, so um, I, I drove down to... Uh, Napier a couple of weeks ago, sort of, you know, for my for my real job, and um, was visiting a school down there, a very good school called, um, uh, goodness, uh, so good, the Maori Girls Schools. It, um, but but I drove through. I, I must get that one right, otherwise you can be St Joseph's Maori Girls College, which is a very good school. But as I was driving into Napier, I, I was in that kind of dream phase, you know, where you don't know where you've driven, and and I saw a sign that said Eskdale. And I thought, now that rings a bell. What is that? What's going on? And then I thought, oh, the floods, of course. And then I suddenly look out beside the road and it's still, you know, what are we, six, seven, eight weeks down the track? It's still unbelievable. Um, silt to the top of vineyards. Um, I hear that. Houses just absolutely destroyed. Cars sitting where they clearly weren't driven. Um, and I mean, there was one house where I sort of said to someone, that's quite a new house. And she said, yeah, and it used to be a kilometre from here. 
Um, and so this house had been lifted up and swept. And New Zealand has all moved on and forgotten about it. Well, we have to some extent, but they certainly haven't. And I saw an article a couple of weeks ago, a week ago, where Estale Primary, which was significantly affected, you know, and all their families, et cetera, um, but they had already underway. So this wasn't doesn't look like it was damaged by the floods, but they had already underway a building program, I think a $20 million building program, and it's about $4 million in progress has been made. And the ministry have suddenly said, no, that's enough. Uh, we're not going to fund it anymore. And, and the principal's like, pun? What? Um, and, and so, you know, you've got this real backwards and forwards pulling on, on resources. So some schools are saying, well, okay, we need another classroom and we don't have one, so we need to use the library. And so, therefore, the library, you know. Nice. And, and that's so, – so going back to the point about, um, you know, parenting, as I say – uh, you know, we have a lot of people growing up who don't have enough resources in the home. In the past, and I did, well, Karen and I did this with our kids because, uh, um, you know, we didn't have anything when we started. We were single income. I was teaching at Tarong Boys. Our oldest, his first uh, bedroom was our wardrobe mm. in our one-bedroom flat. And, and so our kids, we went to the library all the time. And then we slowly built up a stock of books, um, but we certainly didn't start with shelves full. Uh, and and so I, I think we've equated uh, parenting with wealth, good parenting with wealth, and we need to break that as well. You don't have to have a lot of money to be a good parent. No, um, uh, you have to spend time. You have to care. You have to speak words. You have to speak positively. You have to access the resources that are freely available, like libraries and parks and beaches and all that kind of thing. That's what makes a good parent. And oftentimes, two parents working yes, to provide what they think the kid needs, and the kids actually miss out because yeah. the, kid, and, the parents are tired. Yeah, there are there are some situations. So I was a very good friend of mine a couple of years ago uh, who very good international rugby player, Samoan. Uh, he also has a law degree. His sister's a very good lawyer. And I said, How, you know, uh, looking at some of these stats, when I when I sort of grew up in Wanganui, the, the Pacific Island families were known to be very, very uh, interested advocates for education for their children. And I said, it's just, it just seems to have changed, and statistically it's changed quite significantly. And, and it is edging back up, which is interesting. Um, I said, what, what, how did you guys get in such a good space, and, and what's changed? And he said, well, his, his mum is a lawyer, his dad's a doctor, and they were doing six months on, six months off. Now, they could afford to because a single income for either of them was enough. Good. Yeah. Um, I, there are a lot of families now where, uh, you know, you would call them the working poor. They do exist. Uh, there's a significant number of them. And uh, they are having to work long hours and, and two or three jobs. Um, and it's possibly a role. So I, I went to an amazing uh, school in New York called um, Harlem uh children's zone and so there's a school in it um but they also have a program that goes from seven in the morning till seven at night 
so for the parents that have to work those big hours, the school steps up and and make sure those children are, are looked after because they don't want them out on the street. And, and we, we don't we don't have any real we, we have some people who do a very good job in those sort of situations and do offer after school, but we don't have any pattern of that. Yeah. Um, so to to answer the question, how are we doing compared yep. to past times? You're saying it's a different world. I'm saying we've deliberately created a different world. And if 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 you have to beat back all the bushes and say who's responsible for the current state of the New Zealand education system, and that's things like uh, only 38% of Māori fully attending, uh, a little over 50% of all students fully attending, and that declines as they go through secondary school. Say those numbers again. About 38% of Māori fully attending. So that means 62%. Are not, yeah. And what would that entail? What would not fully attending entail? So it's uh, full attendance is regarded as nine days out of ten. Yeah. Now, if I was employing someone and they only turned out nine days out of ten, so let's say they took a sickie every second Friday, uh, you know, long weekend every second week, uh, then then I'd have a pretty significant issue with them. Um, so sixty-two percent, yes, of Maori students at yeah. primary and high school. In the compulsory sector, presumably, yes, are missing at least a day a fortnight. Yeah, and quite a few. It's 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 significantly more than that. And um, we we have a pattern that we need to change. So it used to be called the decile system, and the lower decile you were, um, the more supposed uh, socioeconomic hardship. Now it's the equity index system. And the higher your school's equity index number, um, the more hardship your students or the more at risk your students are supposed to be. Um, but but I again, you know, trying to step back and say who's who is responsible for this? We live in a free democracy. We're we're parents, adults, over 18s, uh, taxpayers, elect a government. Now Yep, those people are elected to do a job. So, so I, you know, I think Christopher Hipkins has been New Zealand's worst ever uh, Minister of Education. Uh, give Jan Taniti some time and she may well surpass him in terms of those achievements. She's well on the way. Yes. But um, I actually think the responsibility for education system has to come back to parents. Mm. Because if you went, okay, whose children are they? Mm. Well, parents, children. So uh, how has this happened? Well, parents have been uh, too passive when when uh, people with vested interests have tried to push them aside. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's a bit of our nation, isn't it? We, yes. We, we, we trust people. We um, have high regard for authority. Uh, that's traditional Maori society. It's traditional Pacific Island society, but it's also it's pretty strongly rooted in 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 our Asian and in our European society. Um, you know, it's not often we go to our own doctor and they say something. We go, oh, I'm going to go and get a second opinion. Um, you know, we accept what they say, and 
ultimately, uh, our parents and our parenting has been too passive, and we've allowed the system to degrade. Mm. Well, um, I would also say, because I have interacted with the primary school system on three uh-huh. occasions, once when I went through, twice when my second time was when my 34-year-old son went through, and now with my... I hope he wasn't 34 when he was going through that system. No, he, okay. no. And second time now with my second family going through primary school. So that's, if you like, my three lots of interaction. And what I'm finding at the moment is the teachers don't want us parents involved. Agreed. We get endless emails and what's coming up this week and this term, none of it explains anything. It's like we're doing a project on this and we're doing a project on that. We don't assist in any way um, with the kids, like workbooks don't come home, like learn these words, do these times table. What comes home are projects, and you can see a lot of the projects have been done by dad or mum. So projects come home and you're sort of sitting there and thinking, I'd rather they were learning uh, to spelling lists and times table than doing building a model of a volcano with flashing lights. <laughs> um, when they bring home, when you say to them, explain to me how you do the sum. Yes. They set about doing it in the most complicated way I could imagine doing it. And when I say, look, this is how we learn, oh, no, it's not the way the teacher says we should do it. And say, okay, so you sort of feel excluded. Then the marification to coin, recoin John Ansel's great line of what they're doing is almost mind-exploding and anger-inducing because you're thinking, no, no, that's – it, it can't all be about Maori, but it seems to be. And so you don't know even – and then the other thing is the kids seem to be confused by the curriculum. Yeah. <laughs> um, they don't seem to have, like, a concept even of this is right and that's not – I think it's that concept that Elizabeth Rader explained on our show of, you know, the sort of child is the centre of learning and uh-huh. the teachers are facilitated. There's not someone sitting and saying, this is what you'll learn. Yeah. Is that fair comment? I, I think a lot of it is. So so I would still hold that we've allowed that to happen. Of course we have allowed that to happen. Yeah. I and, agree and, with that. And, but and I would, I would have... say around the world we are seeing, uh, so, you know, there's always silver lining, you know, and, and I, I think one of the, silver linings out of COVID is that parents around the world to a significant degree have woken up to what's being taught in schools. Yes. And, and that's that's what's been academically taught, but it's also the ideologies. Um, I, I, I've always been, you know, angry really 
about the amount of negativity that's imposed upon children. Yes. Be- because when I was growing up, I, we, we got a heck of a lot of that. Now, I, and I've probably said it to you before, but I'll never forget a lady called Mrs. Smith telling us in Standard One that the Russians were coming. Yes. And yes. that communism would do- dominate the world. It might not happen in her. I, mean, I thought she was 150. So she was saying it might not happen in her age. I thought, thank goodness for that. But it will in your generation. And and we still do that. We impose so many things upon adult, kids. Adult concerns. On yes. Kids. Instead yeah, of letting we had, had children. We had climbing under the desk in case there's a nuclear fallout. Yes. Well, we were at school in Whanganui in a, in a six-story building at, at what was Whanganui Boys College. And I never saw it coming, but one of my classmates did, and suddenly dived under the desk. And I thought, what the heck's he doing? And a skyhawk from... Um, Oh, uh, uh, was coming, coming across. The, he thought again. He thought it was the Russians, so <laughs> he, he, he went under the desk. Um, and and so you know, if you take the current situation, there's a really powerful movement around the world. Two or three things. One is parents becoming involved in their child's schooling and what's being taught, and and, and you could kind of categorize it as a let kids be kids movement. Um, in New Zealand, we've we've got a couple of critical things that are taking place now. It's 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 become common knowledge, very well uh, led by Michael Johnson of the New Zealand Initiative, um, to get out into the community the science draft curriculum yes. under the um, curriculum refresh, and and it's 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 a disaster. And probably the worst thing that parents could do at the moment is go, oh, well, you know, we've shown them that it's a disaster and these people have spoken up and now they'll, they'll, they'll bury it and they'll do science properly. No, they won't. Uh, they're on a, they're, they're on a mission. Yeah. And they'll try and wait you out. So for mm-hmm. instance, you had for math teaching, you had the Royal Commission. Uh, do a really good report saying that this is what we should do. And when it first came out, the ministry, you know, said we agree with it, and Chris Hipkins said we agree with it, and then they just kind of slid it off the table, you know, while still holding eye contact, um, and, and very very little has been done. So this science curriculum, uh, which basically they're trying to say, well, New Zealand will lead the world and um, teaching science through uh, a number of contexts and you'll be able to learn the basics of science that way. Well, I, I was swimming this morning. Uh, I'm, I'm getting fit again, Rodney, thanks to your inspiration. And um, uh, I was swimming this morning and, and I thought, you know, swimming is more an art than an effort if you're going to become good. Anyone can jump in the pool and thrash around. Um, and in fact, if you're new to swimming and you, and you do thrash around, you go nowhere very quickly. Mm. Um, because to swim well, you've got two things. One is propulsion. Um, but the other is effectively being, um, as little object as possible to the forces of the water. You know, you, so you need to really slide through the water. Um, and I was thinking, you know, learning anything is the same. You can thrash around with science, but unless you've actually understood the basic building blocks, which includes where it came from, modern science, uh, through to, you know, the establishment of things like um, the periodic table of elements um, and the understanding that science is always theoretical. 
Mm-hmm. Um, th- there's mm-hmm. not effect. And I, I put that up somewhere the other day and someone said, well, come on, I think you're going too far there because um, water will always be two atoms of hydrogen and one atom of oxygen. Uh, but the answer to that is, you know, physicists at the moment are still debating whether an atom contains any matter at all mm. or whether it's just energy. Mm. And, 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 you know, there's no conclusion. No. And, and and so, but that's that's what science is. And yet, these people would would hold that there are a number of facts that we need what, to deal with. Over the years, yeah, you have been forthright. Mm-hmm. You have been a thorn in the side of the ministry. You have battled them over your schools and what your kids have needed, and you have eyeballed these bureaucrats who have put barriers in the way of your kids achieving. Yep. What do you make of them? Who are these people? Are they lizards in disguise? Or Because, yeah. um, like, you'd think someone that hasn't been exposed to it, you imagine that the people in the ministry want exactly what you and I want. But it doesn't seem to be the case. Yeah. Um, All Blacks had a good win on the weekend, and a friend of mine is is one of the assistant coaches, Joe Smith, uh, smart guy. And I've never met Ian Foster. I'm told he's he's a pretty smart fella. Uh, They, as well as Scott McLeod and and the Ford's coach, who I remember soon. Uh, they've had a long history in the sport, um, and they they select players who play rugby. Uh, there aren't too many uh, people selected for the All Blacks straight out of gymnastics or tennis. Uh, so what you've got, and, and and this is I think incredibly bizarre. Um, and as I say, parents' responsibility to change it, but boy, you've got to get in there and you've got to be really ready to dust up. Uh, you've got eight or nine people, and if you go onto the ministry website and you go, you know, who who are our leaders? You've got eight or nine people with almost no background in teaching whatsoever. Um, quite a yeah. few of them have, have come to New Zealand from, uh, you know, Britain particularly. Um, you have Iona Holstead, who earns $570,000 a year. Uh, for a system that is an abject failure. That's um, an eye-watering amount of money. Oh, it's, it's, it, it, you can fund a school on it. I've done it. Um, um, and, she's the chief executive, is she? Yes, she, so she's the secretary for education. And if you go on there, it's just, you go on that site and it's like reading, I, I love Douglas Adams, but he's a positive, humorous writer. This is like reading black humour. Um, so you go on the site and Iona Holstead says, well, I qualified as a teacher and I taught for a year, but, uh, you know, then I went back into student politics. And from then on, she's been a, in the public service. What? what? Her skill, her skill in all of this is managing public servants. Like, well, they don't have a... Can we use can we use the word skill in an advised way? Because yeah, they probably well. What are they good at? 
Well, I, I have a couple of people who uh, like clearly won't even hint at who they are, but they're they're in reasonable levels of the ministry, and they said it's just it's just a factory of fear. Uh, you know, no one's prepared to put themselves out. No one's prepared to challenge the leadership. Uh, because if you do put something up that you think might be positive and effective, you get shot down pretty darn quickly. Um, it, things used to be in triplicate. You know, it, I, I put in an application for a school, and on one particular question, when we finally got the documents back, it had gone through 41 people, uh, 39 of which I had never met to discuss this issue. And they're all covering each other's butt. And, and, you know, as is, again, I, I think it's common knowledge, but sometimes when you work in a particular sphere, what's common knowledge to you isn't publicly common knowledge. But the amount of people employed in the Ministry of Education in the last six years has gone from 2,700 to 4,200. So if I go back to the typical New Zealand rugby analogy, it's like the All Blacks have now got 52 people on the field and they're still losing. Yes. Uh, um, how how do you justify this? How do you justify the incredible spend? How do how do you justify the results in terms of school attendance? How do you justify having a ministry? Oh, I, I, a lot of schools are now working out that the best way to effectively provide for their children is to sidestep the ministry mm-hmm. and, and and just apologise later. Yes. You know, do but it must be hard working there too, because you can imagine that you misgender someone, or you make an incorrect Maori pronunciation, or upset some Maori god or protocol, and that could be career limiting. Right? Oh. We, because it is so tenuous and like ever changing what your position has to be on these things. So you can imagine it being a culture of fear because it certainly isn't a culture of achievement. No, no, no. It's a culture of abject failure. Um, and then and, and would, publicly known abject failure. Yes. I mean, so you're going to work every day into a situation where you're certainly not appreciated by the teaching sector. No. You haven't you haven't been able to negotiate over a year with the PPTA to settle a pay claim. Um, you're seeing rolling strikes and stoppages. You're seeing very poor attendance. Uh, it's well known that New Zealand is declining against the international um, uh, achievements in pizza and uh, Tim's. So you've got all of these things going on. It must feel like a siege mentality. Um, and they must be very ideological. Yeah, well... Like, there, there's an ideological <laughs> agenda Yeah, underpinning... You must, you must be something to be prepared to accept $570,000 a year for, for, for failing, you know? You must feel that, I, I don't know... Well, uh, do, they think do they think they're failing? They might be think they're winning because they're winning in the sense that a political agenda has overwhelmed our skills. And close, these little to over, kids. Close, close, close to overwhelming, you know I mean? Uh, you, throughout history, you know, people tend to wake up at the right time. Sometimes there's been great costs before they do. Yeah. And and, and so you, you take at the moment, um, and I haven't read the year 9 to 13 document yet because the year 1 to 8 document 
is taking enough energy and alarm. But the, uh, it's called Relationship and Sexuality Education. Oh, don't get me started, please. <laughs> but but do, see, do see, explain, see, Rodney, what see, that's, that, what that's, the, that's the New Zealand parent. No, I will a, tell you exactly. Phrase. I will tell you exactly. I am all over this. Yeah. I am so angry. I didn't want to raise it with you. Yeah. Because I can't stop at the enormity of it mm-hmm. and of the utter evil of it. Yes. And of the fact that they're grooming my girls mm-hmm. when they're 10. Well, you, you, you'd, I would look at this. You, you asked as sexual abuse. What, 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 what sort of people here? I would say in this case, they're taking the place of bad actors. Yes. Um, because there is no justification for this. It's appalling. It's abhorrent. And, and you know, I mean, even the, the methodology. So in the past, if you were going to have sex education at school, and, and I've always taken the position that that's the parent's role. Yes. That, that, that's the values of the home well and truly supersede the values of the school in that situation. And, and so as, uh, you know, a kind of um, acknowledgement of that, it was always the case that if a school was going to run a sexuality program of any kind, sex ed program of any kind, they had to consult with the parents mm-hmm. and they had to fully inform the parents. And the parents had every right to say, well, my little Rodney, he's he's, he's not going to be in that, that class. Now, not enough parents took that option. So going back to the parents, parents had to be more proactive. They've allowed this to happen to some degree. Um, but this, how cunning it is, first of all, the document was kind of just slid slowly out into public in 2020. So it's only really got airtime this year. Um, and that's because boards of trustees uh, are now required to implement the program. Um, the second part of the program that is quite cunning. So forgetting the content, the cunning part of this program is that instead of it being a relationship and sexuality uh, class that you can opt out of, the board is required to implement this curriculum into every learning area. Yes. So into English, into science, into technology, into mathematics. And, and so what are you going to say? Little Rodney, you can't go to any of these classes when you're talking about it. Um, no, you could be doing maths. Yes. And they say, little Johnny has three fathers <laughs> and Frida has four mothers. How many parents are there? And call it maths, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I identify as a tractor. Um, yeah, um, um, yeah. And and again, it's it's away from that let kids be kids thing. They they don't, they don't need this. And the, the one that I particularly picked out, it's because around the world, scientists, medical people are still saying, Fuck, we don't know really what the physiological and psychological effects of using puberty blockers are. No. And, 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 but- and a lot of Common sense suggests you not good. Well, no. And, um, um, and and so, but that's that's supposed to be talked about in the science curriculum, and it doesn't say whether that's year eight, seven, six. Give us that lady's name again. That's running this ministry. Uh, Iona Holstead, and she's English. No, she isn't. I don't think. Okay. Uh, but I, I, she's I on five hundred thousand dollars. Five hundred and seventy. I mean, 
600,000, <laughs> and she's sitting there putting out to our schools for our yes. kids and grandkids to teach them at 10 all about sex and teaching them that a boy could choose to be a girl. Well, in a, in a whole range of stuff. So, I mean, if this is if this is an angle in for parents to go, you know what, I, I'm really uncomfortable with this, then take it. But then broaden your perspective and have a look at everything that's happening in school. Um, and, and some of those things are really simple. I, I didn't often, my kids went to a school that functioned really well as a primary school called Cornwall Park District School. Um, they, I, I very rarely, I mean, I went along, you know, went along to teachers things and, and, um, sports stuff. And, um, but one day one of my children came home and he said, oh, they've told me I'm not allowed to take this book to school. I said, what do you mean? They said, oh, they said that the book's too advanced and I, I might be able to read the words, but I'm not actually understanding it. And I went, okay. Uh, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to do something about this? And he said, could you come and talk to them, please? It's the only time I can actively remember at a primary school level. I had a couple of clashes with Auckland Grammar, um, but at a primary school level, going into the school and saying, hey, look, and the lady was Cheryl. She was lovely. She was the head of the um, three classrooms. She's a principal now, does a very good job. Um, but I said, look, hey, um, Michael's been told that he, he's not allowed to read this book, but I know that he understands. Could you spend five minutes with him? And she came out five minutes and said, well, Michael can bring any book to school he wants. <laughs> um, and, and, that, and that's cool. But there will be little things like that. Will you get well, your I'll give you my example. What would you do yep. if you were in my situation? Mm-hmm. Last year, my daughter, then aged 11, um, goes off to have her, what do you call it, health and, what is it called? You said that phrase. Oh, relationship and sexuality education. Yes, <laughs> REC, right? Yes. And they said, if you want to have the curriculum, um, we will send it to you if you ask. I said, I'd love to see it. And I scanned it, and I thought, oh, this looks reasonable. What I didn't pick up on, because it's a slipping past you, was there was a little bracket, in brackets, was gender identity. Right. Right? And so the session was about gender identity, which is gender ideology. And so Liberty came home, um, giggling her head off, (laughs) <laughs> because she and I had watched Matt Walsh's documentary, What is a Woman? Right. And she said, you know, they think a rooster can be a hen. And um, I said, had the kids react? And she said, oh, they're fall, falling around the floor laughing at the teacher trying to explain that girls can be boys, right? So I thought, oh, okay, she's mature. She can handle it. She came home subsequently and she, Dad, you better sit down. Now, when a girl tells you this, you go a bit queasy, right? So I sat down, and she said, we had all these trans and lesbos turn up. Oh, She's wow. Wow. For two hours. Compulsory. Get away. Oh, it's happened in lots of schools. I said, Really? And I said, what was it like? She says, it's a bit boring, but they talked about being trans and being a lesbo. 
this is her words, right? <laughs> so I dropped the very polite note to her teacher and I said, excuse me, um, Liberty came home saying that they'd had these trans and lesbos in. Is that right? Oh, yes. We had inside out visit the school. Right. Now, Tell me just something, Curtin Rodney. No, no, you're fine. But you know yeah. inside out, right? No, I don't really. No. Well, they're a New Zealand wide organization funded by uh, the government who advise on Chanel Lowell's involved. And they advise government on how to teach kids to be aware that they, they have a gender soul uh -huh. and that they might be a boy, but their gender soul means they're a girl. Uh -huh. And so they turned up and they're teenagers who are literally trans and lesbian. And oh. they talked to my 11-year-old girl in her class for either an hour and a half or two hours. I haven't quite worked out how long about the lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. So now I, mean, I felt like going down to that school and actually letting rip because I personally felt, funnily enough with Liberty, she's a mature girl. If it was my next daughter, she's very young, very naive, very innocent, very beautiful. She's a girl. Uh -huh. Liberty reads a lot, and so she knows about the stuff, and she can handle it. Not Grace. If they did that to Grace, I don't know. Like as a father, I would feel that the skill had robbed my girl of her innocence, yeah. filled her head with nonsense, and told her lies. So now you it, say a, I've let yeah. this happen. Yeah, but what can I do? Because uh, well, I, I, I wouldn't I, stop. Yeah, I, I would first of all. Uh, so, so one of the things that that again has been a part of our education system, and and why we've been so passive, is that, let's say in the past, seventy to seventy five percent of our kids did okay. Yeah. Then, then why would you kick up a stick? And one of the, I think, one of the key figures. And in a moment, this is, this is taking it a little bit away from the, the topic you're on, but I'll come back to it. But one of the key figures in New Zealand's uh, education in the last six months has been Cameron Bagri. And yes, yes. That, that sounds strange because he's an econ economist. And um, I was reading, as I said, uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy last night. And, you know, they were talking about this mythical uh, planet of Magrathia that people were used to use it as an inspiration to their children to grow up economists. Um, but Cameron has, has you know, come out and, and very uh, eloquently said that if we if we want to see New Zealand society in 20 years' time, we look at our education system now. And, and he's talking about productivity, but he's also talking about relationally, about the level of division and things like that. Um, and, and so, in one sense, I, I think for the parents whose kids are doing okay, they need to take a more more altruistic view. So, let's say we, we broke society down to the liberties and the graces. Now, that's not saying Grace isn't doing well academically, mm -hmm. but you say she's more vulnerable. Then we actually have to think of all of our kids as graces, 
Mm-hmm. Um, I agree because, with that. Because if, because if we do and we're all taking a stand. I've never taken a public stand on sexuality. Now, there's a a very good reason for that. And that is because in running schools, you have to teach without fear or favour. So so, uh, if a a child's from a home with with two mums, cool, love the kid, work with the mums, and very welcoming, to me, that's that's a different situation than pushing down all ranges and of all manners of ideology. The mums are adults on young children, correct? And pushing that down on young children um, is a tough gig, and and a little bit the same with this um, situation around um, gender pronouns. Um, I've always called kids by their first names. Mm. Um, and and to me, and if someone comes on, I care what they you know. I mean, a lot of kids like to be called by their nicknames. Mm. Good as gold, you know that that's cool. Um, and 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 go with that. But again, what's happening is that adults who want this to be really adamant stuff are pushing it back down. Um, well, that goes back to our woman. On 579,000 a year. Yeah. I might have boosted it by 9,000. Oh, she probably got a bonus. Did you, did you know? I, I couldn't believe this. I, I, there was, it, what's it called? Waka Kotahi. I mean, that sounds like, that's a trans, Ministry of Transport. That sounds like another high performing ministry in New Zealand, doesn't it? All the potholes and yeah, yeah. Uh, all that stuff. A lot of their execs got bonuses last year. <laughs> They probably wrote some very good reports about fixing potholes. <laughs> and the other thing that's amazing, I, I didn't know this, um, and this is just the sort of stuff that goes on. I, I sat down once and I read, only a year or so back, the contracts if you work for the Ministry of Education. So if you work as a teacher, and, and you're a good teacher, and let's say, I don't know, let's say 63.7% of our teachers are conscientious and good and stuff like that, and, and the other... 66.7%. That math was quite good then. Oh no, 36.7%. It wasn't that good. Um, they should go and do something else. They should go kiwi fruit picking or, or whatever. But for the conscientious ones, you don't count your hours. Um, you do what you got to do. If, if you get a phone call on Saturday because the family's had an emergency, you don't go, oh, flip, you know, stuff them and all that sort of stuff. Just do what you got to do, right? Well, not in the ministry. You work your 40 hours, then everything else on top of that is time and a half or double time. No. Be a sucker the save. And if you pick up the phone at, at, at night or whatever to take a call and it only lasts five minutes, you get paid for an hour. Um, and you've got all of this sort of stuff that the oh. ministry have that teachers don't. And you're just like, what the heck? How have they got that through? And yet, you know, they they can't negotiate any extra bean for teachers. Um, so it's, it's know, a bizarre situation. They know how to look after themselves. Mm-hmm. Their worries are all about them because get my pronoun right. And um, they are supremacists too because oh, absolutely. they look down on the rest of us. They look down on every teacher. Um. I feel the school system looks down now on parents. Yeah. 
And parents get fed a lot of emails without content. Yeah. It's impossible to find out how your child's going. Yeah. It's impossible to find out what they're actually being taught. And it's quite interesting to ask kids, you know, what's nine times seven? Yeah. Well, you've read Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy 2, haven't you? And nine yes. times, nine times, nine times seven is 63, not 42, Rodney. Yes. Um, um, but that that is hypothesized at one point. I I the schools that are succeeding are schools that engage the parents effectively, by and large. And so across New Zealand, uh, you know, it's well known that a lot of our private schools do extremely well. Um, and people go, oh, it's because they're wealthy. Well, no, when kids who are from struggling socioeconomic circumstances go into those schools, they do a lot better. So there must be something else to learn from that. And then you've got the likes of Manakura uh, in Palmerston North where you've got uh, Evette and Nathan Jury and their team who who are just laser-focused on, on achievement for their kids and setting up an environment where those kids can achieve and they're highly successful. Um, then you have, and again, not all of them are perfect, but then you've got the Catholic integrated schools that are, you know, very strongly uh, achieving. And I, I think particularly uh, of an improved school like St. Peter's in Ponsonby, which is mainly Pacifica kids. And in three years, a man called Kieran Fowey took them from 50% EOE for leavers to 84%. Wow. Did he get a bonus? Oh, yeah, yeah I, I think they gave him an extra wafer each Sunday. And, <laughs> and, um, um, and, and, and when we quizzed him at a, at a um, summit I put on, one of his key things was enroll the family. Um, mm. and, 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 and that's a really big deal. And, and the same, you get the likes of Westlake Girls, Napier Girls, um, these sort of schools in the state system that are standout. You know, they're quite family-oriented. Um, and there's, there's no era of superiority involved in them. At the beginning of last year, so this parent thing is really important. And and for a long time, I've looked, I'd looked at around New Zealand, and you know this from your role as Associate Minister of Education, that, that in all of these out-of-the-way places, there isn't a lot of good schooling. And, and we have people who sit in Wellington, or Auckland, or Christchurch, and go, well, you know, kids have got choices um, where they go. If you're in Tikawiri, uh, or, 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 you know, other small towns around the night, there's not much choice at all. Mm. And often that choice involves a lot of travel. Or if you're anxious, and we have a huge anxiety problem in New Zealand with kids, um, if you don't fit into a school, then the school doesn't, do a heck of a lot to make you feel welcome. No. Um, and, and to deal with you. So we set up a, and it's not, um, it's, I don't, I set it up and, and then let it run with people much better than me. And so we set up something at the beginning of last year called Mount Hobson Academy Connected, which is an online uh, school. Why can you do it online now? Well, a lot of schools wouldn't like you to know this, but virtual classrooms are amazing. And they've come a long, long way from, from you and I meeting on Zoom here, which is really good for one-on-one. But these are a teacher with 15 kids 
they're in the classroom, someone in Kaitai is learning with someone in Invercargill, so you've got these advantages. The kid that won't shut up like I wouldn't have, you know, back in the they day. Be put on mute. You just mute them, you know. <laughs> and, and I could be seen banging on in the background. Uh, <laughs> That's you've very got, funny. You've got these expert teachers, and we employed fabulous teachers. Um, and, and they've engaged and enrolled the family. But there's a second level um, that we did. I think that's really smart um, because there's a big movement now for parents to do some homeschooling. And in New Zealand, that is catching on and it's growing a lot. But in some cases, like in Seattle or in Washington State, something like 30% of families didn't return to state schooling after COVID. Whoa. Uh, um, and Stanford did a report on 20 counties through um, uh, Tribeca, that, that sort of area. Yes. And found that something like 20% of families had taken on education for themselves. Because they had seen what was going on. And they just thought they could do it better. And, yes. and they're right. Yes. Um, and so some of it will be the ideological stuff, but some of it will simply be quality of education. But and also one quality, on one. Yeah, and quality of family time. Yeah. You know, why am I sending my kids to this flipping six hours a day? Yeah. I mean, you know. And so we set up a system there for as a second tier where parents can go, I want to homeschool, but I don't want to go through all this Ministry of Education nonsense and or I don't really know what I'm doing. So they can enrol in our in, in their teacher-led program. And so they get all of the resources and all of the advice from the school and they're wonderful. enrolled in the school, but they can organise the day as they see fit. So they have kids oh, who, who are athletes or horse riders or swimmers and, and so they, instead of them having to turn up to that particular How class, do listeners find that? Oh, well, Mount Hobson Academy Connected, just, just look it up. Wow. Um, now, tell me this. We have to, yeah. we're, running out of, we're running out of time. I think Mount Hobson Academy Connected, Google that. Sounds yeah. wonderful. I'll be Googling that tonight. Tell me, what should a parent and grandparent do with their children heading off to a primary or high school, what should their number one and number two thing be to best assist their kids? So first of all, a lot of parents will ask exactly that question to me and, and to others right now. And the first thing I say is if you're asking that question, chances are your kids are going to be okay because it's, what does Joe Biden say? <laughs> Not much, but um, <laughs> he, he, he used that term front of mind once. Remember front of mind? Yes. Um, so if you're concerned about how your child's going to do at school, chances are you're going to think through and seek advice on on what to do to help. Yeah. And so that's cool. So what should you do to help? Uh, first of all, you should know what's going on in school and, and it, it, introduce yourself to the teachers uh, once a week at least. Go into the classroom, have a look around. Really? Uh, Oh, absolutely. I, I would be at that level now. Um, and, and, and to say, how's things going? Um, you know, make yourself known. Say the, posi- say the positives. Yeah. You know, because a lot of people are in a situation, and teachers feel this, uh, that sometimes you only hear from parents when, when there's an things issue. Things go wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And, and a parent saying the positives and then sharing their concerns will give that teacher the courage to take those concerns into the staff room. And 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 that that's a part of kind of getting that ball rolling. So you have to say the positives. Read to your children every night. 
uh, that that to me is just so key. And if you're too busy, find granddad, find nana, uh, you find someone, or or online so books. There. Sit there with your children, absolutely, and read a chapter. Yep, and, and good books. You know, I mean, my, the classics. My kids, my kids just about destroyed me once because they got me to read a book called "The Day My Bum Went Psycho." I'm still, I'm still, I'm still reading that book in my head, you know. I, I, um, like get a good run for dad. Yeah, and 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 like for the little kids, speak thousands of words, but not only speak thousands of words, speak them positively. Mm. And and um, you know, I really admire the writing of a guy called Matthew Side. It's a little bit like the British uh, Malcolm Gladwell, um, but he talks about rewarding effort. Mm. Uh, because ultimately, it seems I was swimming today. If someone, if a kid, you know, eventually swims sixty seconds or, or less for a hundred meters, they're really swimming, right? But but the effort that they've put in to get there is, is remarkable. Sheesh. So you you reward the effort on the way. Um, when so 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 I'll say that, but I'll also say to parents, the concerns that you've expressed to me about the system are real. So if and when your kid's okay. Don't stop advocating for the system because, and I, and I probably the best example, you know, my mum was quite a piece of work in many ways. But I went home one day because this kid called Ronald had given me a hiding and taken my lunch. And I went home and I said, Mum, you've got to get him. You know, uh, he should be in jail or something. Mm-hmm. I was about eight. So I wake up the following morning, and there's two lunches on the bench. And I went, what are you doing? She goes, so this one's for Ronald. Ah, <laughs> and, what a lesson. Ah, it was great. And, but you've got to think like that for our education system. If your kid's okay, still agitate for the other kids. Mm, that's still a good agitate. note. Yeah. That's a very good note to end on, Alwyn. Um, I'm speaking, it's, you're on Reality Check Radio. It's your talk with Rodney. I'm speaking to Alwyn Paul, who's been a teacher, a principal, he and his wife set up the Mount Hobson Middle School, yeah. which was in my electorate, which is where I first met uh, Alwyn, and he said, come along to my school. I'd never been invited like that, and his school was a house. And I went in, and it was a beautiful school. And I met an old colleague of mine, when I say an ex-colleague of mine that I hadn't seen for years, and she'd gone on to have children, and one of her children had suffered at school terribly and done very poorly. And so she took him to Alwyn's school, and he was ducks. And she said, Alwyn and his wife are amazing. And then Alwyn and his wife set up some partnership schools did tremendously well, reached out to those traditionally most disadvantaged, showed that you could educate them, have them in a uniform paid for by the school, and do it so much cheaper than the schools that were failing them. And when you saw those kids, and saw those schools, you wept for all the children that didn't get that opportunity. Shockingly, 
Labour hated those schools because they were the chink in the Berlin Wall of education because they were showing up the entire system. And so rather than being congratulated and copied, they were effectively demonized and life made difficult. And when the great ACT Party had thought, if we got a couple of great schools underway, working, the world would see what can be done. Is that a fair comment, Alwyn? I, I think it's very fair. Uh, yeah, and, and I mean, not just us, Vanguard. Uh, Vanguard. Amazing job. Um, amazing job. And yeah. that if you were a good actor in public policy and politics and education, you would say, let's do this. Because this I'll is give you, I'll give you just kids. a really, really sharp example. So we had uh, Chris Hipkins come to South Auckland Middle School. Uh, That's school. Yes, as a minister, uh, sorry, as a spokesman for education, we went around the school, sat down in office and said, hey, Owen, this is a very good school, but what's it going to be like in five years? And I said, well, Chris, I've got a feeling that's ultimately going to be up to you. And, you know, he was there. Now, South Auckland Middle School is, is still functioning. Uh, under under Karen's leadership, same with Middle School West Auckland, they've been able to convert to designated character schools, uh, but they lack some of the freedoms that they used to have. And, and uh, you know, again, they've had to fight to keep control of, of the way that they know best, um, as opposed to being supported. And um, South Auckland Middle School, for instance, has got a waiting list of about 100 every year. The ministry refuses to countenance allowing that role to grow. Um, so crazy stuff crazy stuff Alwyn you're on Real Talk with Rodney Hyde Reality Check Radio that was Alwyn Paul crazy stuff uh, if you think that the ministry and the education system have our kids best interests at heart um, as a former associate minister of education and politician I can assure you that's not the case I know Alwyn would agree with me and we're going to have to stand up for our kids and our society's education system because when you see a system that's working like that, wouldn't you just want to help those hundred and all the thousands behind them? But no. Thank you for listening. This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m. You're on Rally Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. And I know, I know, I always say this, but this is a special time for me when I get feedback from you, the listeners, and I love it. And I can't wait. I hope we get it organized that we get better at this because we need that engagement with our listeners because it's our listeners that make the show and make it so special. Here's one of the minority cultures being pushed. Why was the white Christian minority vilified in Rhodesia, Southwest Africa, the Republic of South Africa? Not only was it not adopted, it was criminalized. Today, white farmers are being murdered because the politicians in power call for it. The world just looks on without saying a word. How does that fit into democratic countries who call for democracy in their own countries? Nick, I agree, Nick. It's been a travesty, an absolute travesty, and sadly predictable. And the world has stopped by 
stood by and done nothing. Thank you, Rodney, and the team for another smashing start of the week. Great interview. Check the latest Putin video on YouTube, read the Anglican Church and Genders. Hmm. I don't know what that could be. Putin and Anglican Church and Genders. Oh, he's, he's probably done a criticism of the West. Um, and probably rightly so. Dear Rodney Hyde, thank you for being on RCR and for all that you do to publicize the truth. Well, thank you. I don't know if I publicize the truth. What I do is we allow people to talk and for people to work it out and to debate and discuss. And I think that's how you get closer and closer to the truth. And it's when you don't allow free speech and free debate that you lose the truth. I heard your interview on Smart Cities with Corey Gray, the head CEO. I applaud you for your comment about Auckland City. Spot on. Perhaps next time if you have him on again, you can be specific. Is he connected to the WF Forum? Why does he call climate change doubt as conspiracy theorists? Whose idea of sustainability is he pushing? Whose worldview? Why is he for mass vaccination? Good questions. It is obvious the technology will be used not to save ratepayers money, but for surveillance. He does not take the Christian worldview into account, the return of Jesus Christ. Have you watched the two hours video, Smart Cities, by Samantha Edwards? No, I have not. And thank you for sending me that link. I'll look it up. Rodney, keep up the good work. Appreciative RCR listener. Well, thank you for that. Just listen to Rodney Hyde's episode on Miss Netherlands and the questions he's asking regarding it. May I highly recommend watching the documentary, The Great Awakening. It answers a lot of questions about who and the why, but the line that stands out most for me is if it's a success in the Netherlands, we know it'll be successful throughout the world. Also, a lot of other things in there that need discussion too. I consider myself to be awake. This raised a new level of awakeness for me, awareness for me. Well, thank you for that. Loved your kind thoughts. Loved your thoughts on our kind government, Rodney. My sign at my first protest was be kind and not blind. Wake up, New Zealand. I remember that sign. Sadly, many still asleep. Keep up the great work. Real talk. Thank you, Rodney Hyde, for keeping yourself raw, relevant, and real. Been listening on and off since RCR went on air. As I'm a recent as I'm recent recovery from major joint surgery, I get to spend my day hearing not only you, but a myriad of fellow hope bringers at RCR. Keep it up, Rodney. Keep up the team. Keep it up, team. Blessings, Anita. Thank you, Anita. And I hope you get well soon. Oh, bless Rodney. My relationship with Christ began in the first lockdown when I was digging in the garden, unearthed the Bible. You couldn't write the script. Life is much greater than we know. Arahanui from Adele. Thank you, Adele. That's a great story. Life is uh, as funny as a script, and it is much greater than we know. From Ruben, thanks, Rodney, for contribution to saving our country, and welcome to the Christian fold. Keep up the good work. Hi, Rodney. From Mike, you should interview Addie Leeson, Christian protester, who was one of the three who attacked the Waihopo spy base a few years ago. Fascinating guy who lives his convictions. That's a great idea. I, I, I will reach out to him. Um, funny enough, I thought they were terrible when they attacked that spy base, but of course, we all changed our minds about many things through the COVID experience. Rodney, you just articulated how I feel as an RCR listener. I'm proud to be a member of the Hardy Bunch, and I'm so thrilled to be learning and changing my perspective as we go along this crazy ride of life in the 21st century. Much love to you and yours, Rodney. Well, thank you for that. 
If I made what your guest this morning has said, Luxon is a Christian, if he was even on any level, then surely he would have left the ivory tower of the beehive and gone and talked to the peaceful protesters. Certainly not Christian to even not spoken out about the police brutality on that shameful day. I also understand that Luxon is mates with Bill Gates, but on that I could be wrong. Have a great day. Yeah, but he sort of would be, wouldn't he, if he could be? And if he isn't, he would like to be. You know what I mean? And yes, it's not a, not a, excluding anyone is the opposite of being a Christian. Christ, Christ welcomed the lepers when no one else would and provided their lesson. Rodney, there are literally tens of thousands of Jesus followers out here in New Zealand who stay well away from all of the man-made church institutions. We are the ecclesia, and we meet together in many locations, homes, gaffs, parks, etc. Linda. Well, wonderful, and I learned a word, ecclesia. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. Riveting stuff, Rodney, interview with Ashley Church. We sure are blessed to have you as our interviewer. Oh, that's kind. Thank you. Hi, Rodney. I genuinely love your work and respect you. Respect you for re-examining past prejudices and challenging societal norms. You have many challenges ahead, and the orthodoxy around um, Second World War history will be perhaps your greatest challenge. Well, I'm certainly uh, always challenged about figuring out what happened in history. And you've come out, Christian, Chuck. Yes, it is a funny thing, isn't it? It's a revolutionary act, and I've come out of the closet. I resonate with Church, Ashley, Ashley Church, and yourself might be interested in the book authored by Professor of Economics, Michael Hudson, and forgive them their debts. Um, renowned Professor of Economics saw the financial crisis coming. Uh, interesting book. Uh, from Helen, I tuned in halfway through and heard Ashley Church, who hadn't been to church for 20 years. What an interesting perspective he had on that. There are tens of thousands who do attend church throughout the world. I find some great food for thought in this YouTube site, which gives answers to lots of tricky questions about church and Christianity. Not sure if it's your thing, although there are several different speakers who cover a range of topics. But that's a great thing, isn't it? Uh, that is, you and I have the freedom to choose, and that's a gift. And the YouTube is... Ascension Presents. Love listening to your soothing tones. Keep up the great work learning radio interviewing. You're getting there. Uh, hi, Rodney. Great conversation just now. Here's right. There is a huge number of Christians outside of the church buildings and denominations. When you get that, it is all about a personal relationship with our creator, not church dynamics or systems. Awesome to grow without restrictions and man-made interpretations. Thanks, Kim. Lovely feedback. Thank you so much, everyone, for taking the trouble to write and to share with us and to guide us as we learn radio interviewing and running a radio station and providing for us, the family of listeners at Really Check Radio, where nothing is off limits. Please send us your thoughts and ideas, inbox at reallycheck.radio for an email. Text us at 2057. It's so wonderful, wonderful to have you along but it's very, very special to have your texts and emails. You're listening to Politics Explained. Back to basics in the political sandpit with Rodney Hyde and Tane Webster. Here on Rally Check Radio, it's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. And 
It's welcome back to Tane Webster for Politics Explained, Back to Basics in the Political Sandpit. And remember, uh, fire in your questions for us about politics. Text us at 2057 or email us at inbox at realitycheck.radio. Tane, what do you got for us this week? Hey, Rodney. So this week we've got some questions, well, something sent in by uh, a supporter. So recently there was the Independent Electoral Review and they uh, they put together their draft recommendations. The deadline closed uh, on Monday, 17th of July, midnight, but we should still go through them anyway because there's some that are quite interesting. So I'm going to read off a few of the draft recommendations that I think uh, the listeners might be interested in and you might have some interesting comments on and, and we'll just uh, see what goes from there. So the first one I thought to highlight was recommendation number four, requiring decision makers to give effect to the Treaty of Waitangi and its principles when exercising functions and powers under the Electoral Act. This obligation should apply generally across the Act and be explicitly included in the Electoral Commission's statutory objectives. Wow. What do you think of that? Well, it's horrible. I mean, in practice, it should be nothing because the treaty is all about being equal citizens and all having one vote. Uh, and you'd say, fine, fantastic, I love it. But, of course, they're saying titiriti, which has now been defined as co-governance. So what they're actually saying is that co-governance should be guiding our electoral commission Oh, my goodness. So that's like a 50-50 power sharing or something at our electoral laws. Otherwise, why have it? Terrible idea. Terrible, terrible, terrible thing. And, of course, both treaties or the translation of the treaty into Maori from English and back again, uh, same treaty. It's a complete myth that there are two separate treaties. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's so much more we could say, but we, let's try and get through as many of these as possible. So the next one, uh, recommendation number six, this one is actually good, uh, in my opinion. Lowering the party vote threshold for list seat eligibility from 5% of the nationwide party vote to 3.5%. So, yeah. Well, it's okay. But, of course, what's the logic of 3.5 versus none or 5%? Uh, and the well, reason... Well, the reason that we have a cutoff point is to make for stable government because in the limit you'd have a whole lot of independence uh, that anyone wanting to form a government would have to get on side by basically buying them into supporting them as prime minister. So I believe in a limit if you're going to have MMP. I despise MMP, but if you're going to have MMP, you need a limit. 3.5%, you might get a bit of a worry on because as you get more smaller parties in power, which we tend to think is a good thing, more diversity, you're also going to get more unstable government. Instability in government uh, is a bad thing, even if you're an anarchist like me. Yeah. Uh, recommendation number seven, abolishing the one electorate seat threshold provided the party vote threshold is lowered. Yes, this is the idea, I believe, that if I won Epsom um, I would and had 2% of the vote, I'd get, say, three MPs, and so the 5% threshold doesn't apply. And it is an odd thing. So what it would mean is if I won Epsom and I was below 5%, you'd just get me. I think that's fair enough. 
even though it would have worked against me and my interests. Uh, next one, I thought this was interesting. Recommendation number 13, removing the mental incapacity as a ground to remove a member of parliament. Yeah, that's a funny one, and it should go, really. Um, historically, it was the idea if someone went mad, um, you could remove them from parliament. I don't know if it's ever been exercised in the Westminster system where it derives from. And it is heinous, if you think about it, that you know, you'd know you have a doctor come along, or maybe two doctors, there'll be a test that someone worked out, and you say, no, that person can't be an MP because they're mentally incapacitated. Uh, in truth, you know, you could remove half the MPs under such a rule. The only argument would be about which half. Yeah. Uh, this next one is a big one. Recommendation number 17, lowering the voting age to 16. Terrible idea. Um, you know, at 16, you're not contributing to society. Um, you're not involved in society. You've got a lot of opinions. And, you know, 16-year-olds, we pretend, have a valid point of view. But in practice, they don't. You know, changes a lot when you get to 21. Um, I'm not even in favour of 18. Um, so the older you can make it in a funny way, uh, the better, because you're more integrated into society. You're more understanding of what's at stake. Um, I don't like that at all. It's really giving teachers the power to decide who the next government will be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what it is. Parrot what their teachers tell them. And they tell their parents that uh, it's a different world when you have a mortgage and a job and two kids. Yeah, exactly. Um, which one should we go through next? Oh, recommendation number 22, granting all prisoners the right to vote. I'm a little indifferent about that. In a way, yeah. I think if you're incarcerated, you do lose your rights to be part of society um, and you know if you've committed a crime you know you're locked up you're deprived of your freedom why should you have your right to vote and how do you go if you're say an act MP or an act candidate do you literally go to your local prison on the promise that you'll lock them up for longer uh, how does that even work because there's a lot of votes in prisoners make a difference. And so it's just going to have MPs going into a prison saying, vote for me and I'll get you out of prison. No, you're in prison because you've committed a crime against society and been found guilty by your peers and you're deprived of your freedom. And I think you should be deprived of your vote. I mean, I don't really care too much about the vote at one level compared to my freedom. They were quite happy to lock them up, but, oh, they must vote. Well, they're going to vote to get out, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, this one's an interesting one. Recommendation number 40, enabling the preliminary count to be conducted electronically. Bad idea. Um, what's wrong with taking an extra bit of time and doing it manually? Given the furore we had over electronic counting in the U.S., and whatever side you fall on, we shouldn't actually have that debate. 
you know, the idea of a machine doing it is open to hacking and fraud. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this one's interesting. Recommendation 72, requiring the board of the Electoral Commission to have a balance of skills, knowledge, attributes, experience and expertise in the Treaty of Waitangi, Te Ao Māori and Tikanga Māori. I mean, this is kind of enforcing diversity of some well, sort. Well, it's worse than that because it's not saying you've got to be Māori. You've actually got to be steeped in Māori law and ask yourself, what does Māori law have to offer an understanding of democracy in the Westminster system. None. Um, da, 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 oh, recommendation 78, removing the ability for scrutineers to access marked copies of the electoral rolls which show who has voted during the voting period and to share this information with political parties and candidates. It's terrible because, you know, what, what you do is is it's been a great mechanism for keeping it honest and and getting people to vote. And so in the past, in electorates, particularly marginal electorates and first past the post, but even in MMP, and I used to do this in Epsom, is you'd have your supporters marking off people as they vote. You didn't know who they were voting for, but you often had a fair idea given their address or, you know, you might have polled them or talked to them on the street and, and have them have their record that they're a supporter of you. And you would literally have people driving around the electorate helping people to the polling booth. Now, you can't talk to them about voting, but you can just help them get to the voting booth. And it's like a good thing, right? Um, little old lady, oh, Mrs. Brown didn't vote. Oh, well, we'll pop over and see if she needs help or whether she wants to vote. And we've got a car and we'll help her into the car and we'll get her down to the voting booth. I love that. Sort of like a community thing. I don't think it's misused. And number 96, extending the time frame for the offence of knowingly publishing false information to influence voters to include the entire advanced voting period and polling day. So what is false information? I mean, this is, this is terrible, up. terrible, terrible stuff. And my personal and my very clear view, we should only have one polling day. And this idea that you can vote over a week or two is terrible because um, it creates this sort of problem. And this sort of problem is this, that on election day, you can't be electioneering. And I sort of get that. It's a huge effect on free speech. So you can't stand outside a polling booth and be yelling for people to vote Rodney Hyde or vote the ACT Party or vote Labour because it would be um, sacrilegious to people going on and having a vote. They'd be being harangued, if you know what I mean. So we limit political free speech on the day of the vote, because if you didn't limit the free speech, it would become um, signs shoved in your face, member, vote for Rodney, member, vote for this. No, no, no. All that just goes. And I accept that because it's a solemn day. All the election campaigning's been done. It's now over to the voters to decide. Now, I accept that there could be good reason that you can't vote for that day. And in the past, we've always allowed special votes. And that is because you're going overseas or you're on military action or active or whatever. 
But you've got to have a reason. Nowadays, you can vote over a week or two weeks just because it suits you, right? It's easier because I'm driving home for work. I won't bother on today. And you don't get that special day feel. But now they're proposing that over that two weeks, my speech is going to be inhibited. My political speech is going to be inhibited by the government. And they're going to define what is false information. So I could be campaigning against vaccine mandates, climate change, uh, gender ideology, and the government says, no, you can't do that for two weeks. And you're saying, well, this is the most important two weeks of the campaign. Shocking idea. Shocking, shocking, shocking. And mm-hmm. But they'll, you know, they love this stuff. They love telling it what you, you know, even what you campaign on now is going to be decided by the government. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, we've we've gone through all of those quicker than I thought. So I've got one last question from Simon, who sent us a list a couple of weeks ago. So I thought we'd just finish off with that, so we can tidy tidy that off. He asks, when an individual becomes an MP or or a candidate, so maybe there's two parts to this question. Is there a pledge or oath that the individual must give? Who or what are the MPs' loyalties owed to under the party structure to the party or the citizens of New Zealand? Do the list MPs have any obligation to constituents when Parliament's not sitting? Parliament sits for 90 days. What do MPs, MPs do on non-sitting days? So mix well, they can, there's no pledge, I believe, in most parties. Um, I've never heard of an MP or a candidate having to take a pledge. And the reality is, once they get to Parliament, they're a free agent. And um, now... There are consequences because of MMP and this Waka jumping bill that you can be deemed to have left your party, and I hate that, and expelled from parliament. But in fact, the parliamentary hierarchy, there's not much they can do to you absent that Waka jumping bill. But with the Waka jumping bill, we've seen what happens with that fellow from Hamilton, whose name I Mm. forget. Sharma something. Yeah, who criticised the party and said that they were doing things wrong and they decided that they would expel him from the party and therefore expel him from Parliament. In the old days, you could be expelled from a party, but you'd still be an MP. Because once Mm -hmm. you're elected an MP, our constitution was such that you were an MP for the period of that time subject to mental incapacity. And I love that because you could exercise, an MP could exercise their conscience and they could hold their own party to account. And we saw that many times with rebel MPs, including Winston Peters, stepping outside their party. Not possible under MMP. Uh, There was also a question about what MPs do. Well, it's a strange thing. MPs can pretty much do what they like. And good MPs work incredibly hard for their constituents, including list MPs. And bad MPs are the laziest people you've ever seen on God's earth. <laughs> Tell us a funny story of, of, of someone. Do you have any? Oh, um, Ross Robertson is a great guy. And he was the MP for Papakura. I don't know what it would be called now. And he was a good, decent, old-time Labour MP. So he wasn't into the wokery and he wasn't into feminism and all the rest of it. He was a good bloke. And so Helen Clark 
and her little band hated her. And no one listening has probably heard of Ross Robertson unless they were in his electorate. So he was always pushed down, but he was always a happy, bubbly guy. He had the highest recognition rate of any MP in any electorate and was unbeatable. And even Helen Clark couldn't unseat him. And the reason is he was a great MP. But in particular, he was he'd walk up to you with a big grin, shake your hand, and he'd make you feel very special for having shake, shaken your hand. And he'd spend his weekends visiting every sports field in his electorate. And he'd walk up one side of the footy field, shaking all the parents' hands and introducing himself, and down the other side, cross to the other field, hop in his car and drive off to another sports field where they'd be playing rugby. So everyone had met Ross Robertson and everyone voted for him because he was a great guy. And was that working? I guess it was um, because his constituents felt they knew him and if they had a problem, they felt they could go and see him. I loved it. I loved Ross Robertson. He was a great MP and he worked extremely hard and he was hated by the hierarchy and even under MMP they couldn't. Yeah, we need we need more of that. We need a return to that. I, I remember, I think it was this year, one of the parties, they held an event and it was basically private. But then they, and they but they, but the media was able to be there to film it, but the public weren't. And they mm. were to announce a policy or some sort. And uh, when know, Simon Power was a minister, uh, he had the seat of Rangitiki, and I can't remember where he lived, but he would be driven home in a ministerial limo. And he told me a great story that the limo would stop on as it approached a town that they'd be driving through and go through the back streets. And he would walk down the main street shaking everyone's hand and walk through the town and get on the other side of the town and hop back into the limo. Hmm. And he said he was taught that by his predecessor, who was an old-time MP. And he said the worst thing that you can do is drive through one of these provincial towns in a government limo and be seen in the limo, but also be seen not talking to people. John Carter was a fabulous MP up in uh, Northland, and he and I travelled around his electorate one day, and he stopped. If he saw two people, he'd stop the car and get out and talk to them. And we were driving along, and we were pulled up by the um, naughty guy, you know, that has the stop-go sign stop go sign and John Carter's out of the car shaking hands talking to people and they all knew him and they all loved him and I loved that about parliament but nowadays you'd have list MPs who'd walk past you in the street or even local MPs and you wouldn't know them um, I struggle to name my local MP now yeah yeah it's a different um, different time but it just shows how easy it would be to make a difference and stand out Particularly in your electorate. Um, and then the other thing that's interesting is when I became an electorate MP in Epsom, even after two terms, I had had literally 13,000 people contact my office and interact with my office. And it might be over something quite trivial that they'd need help with, but it's amazing. 
you know, that people come to you and if they get a good service and it might be they just need something pushed along or uh, something even signed by their local MP who's a figure of some note that's a public figure, um, they remember that. And if you give them the brush off, they remember that too. And um, I love that about democracy. Uh, I loved it one time when Michael Cullen was the Minister of Finance and he's a big deal and everyone's nodding their head to him and pleased to get five minutes of his time. And then the election was called and I saw him in the street handing out pamphlets, begging for the vote. And it's a fabulous thing because he had to get off the high horse every three years, knock on doors, walk down the street and ask people for their vote. It's humbling. And they get the opportunity to tell you what they think and you actually have to listen and it's a very powerful thing and I learned that campaigning in the electorate my my competitor Richard Worth who lost the seat I would be walking down the street chatting to people and he would drive past in his big SUV with loudspeakers screaming vote for Richard Worth vote for Richard Worth and I'd be sitting there talking to a couple of old dears. And you can imagine the effect it had on them. And I'd always joke, you know, who's that fellow? Um, but you were talking to them. But more particularly, you were listening to them. You'd just listen. You'd be humble compared to the guy driving down the road, screaming at them out of a loudspeaker, which, if you think about it, is very rude. Hmm. As the situation deteriorates, it will be harder and harder for um, politicians to fake that caringness, and so there's going to be a gap for for genuine people, I think, in the coming years. I, I, I think that's true, and, of course, you know, 40 years ago, um, the National Party had 250,000 members, and in order to be a candidate for the National Party or the Labour Party, you actually had to be a genuine person you had to be able to, they knew you. And they had a lot of choice of who they could put up as a candidate. Um, and you didn't just waltz in. Now you sort of waltz in, you've been to university, you've got a job in parliament, you decide to stand, and you've actually never been out in what we would call the real world or interacting with people and you have no empathy. Helen Clark had no empathy with working people. It was so evident. She'd never been around them. All right. That's enough for the one There you go. That was Tane Webster. You've been on Politics Explained, back to basics in the political sandpit. If you've got a question, uh, send it to us, and Tane will drop it on me. Sometimes I get it right. Sometimes I get it wrong. But I, we sort of do it on the spur, so it's um, not, as Chris Hipkins would say, pre-formulate my answer. <laughs> Uh, send us a text 2057 or send me us an email inbox at radio. Tane, talk next week. See you later. This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m. Here on Reality Check Radio, it's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Well, we're going to cover off again that River of Filth guy, Michael Wood. Always looked smart, always had a good political line, always 
impeccably groomed. But boy, did we dislike him when he called a big chunk of New Zealand a river of filth. Well, as we know, he's got into trouble and his trouble just got a little bit deeper because Sir Martin Weavers has undertaken an investigation into Michael Wood's Declaration of Pecuniary Interests. Now, I need to explain a bit of this. Historically in New Zealand, you only had to declare your pecuniary interests, your financial interests, when you're a minister. The idea being that you could be an MP and you weren't a decision maker in government. And so you could keep private what your financial interests were. And that it would become too intrusive just for MPs to have to declare everything. And in the modern world, that was decided, uh, particularly by Labour governments, that this was too much. And so you became an MP, you have to declare your pecuniary interests. And there are two pecuniary interests you have to declare, one as an MP and a second one as a minister. When you become an MP, there's nothing serious that you have to do. You don't have to put your signature to anything. Uh, and I can't imagine how you could particularly make a mistake. Obviously, you can say things that get you into trouble, but just in terms of formal signing. But the one thing that is impressed upon you by your colleagues and by everyone that you meet, that this new pecuniary register that's only been going, oh, it came in in my time, is a big deal because you're signing it. You're signing it as true and accurate. And it's the only thing you have to do so treat it seriously. Clearly, Michael Wood didn't. He didn't didn't treat it seriously. Now, Sir Martin Weavers, game given away by the Sir, is the bureaucrat's bureaucrat. Bureaucrat. He's top of the bureaucratic tree. He was head of the Prime Minister's department in Helen Clark and John Key's time. He went on to become State Service Commissioner. I might have the order wrong. And he, I guess, he sort of retired. And as retired, he's become the person who oversees MPs' pecuniary interests. So he's a very accomplished civil servant, very serious civil servant, and very knowledgeable civil servant. And so he was called upon to investigate Michael Woods, not for his ministerial transgressions, that's separate, but for his parliamentary ones, his obligations to Parliament and to the people of New Zealand. He's produced a report. It is damning. If Michael Wood had any honour, he would resign, given the damning report. We know that's not going to happen because it's Michael Woods, right? But it's that serious report from a very sober person not given to histrionics. Here's what we discovered, that even after the entire scandal broke, Woods took 27 days to correct his pecuniary interest declarations, that he claims that he simply forgot that he owned the airport shares and the contact shares in 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020, and 21. 
it seems that he now also owns shares in a trust. That he never sought any advice when completing his initial return or any subsequent return. MPs like me, if we had any question, would get on the phone to the person in charge of the interest register and ask, because they could be trusted and say, look, should I put this in or shouldn't I? Because you covered yourself by asking. He never bothered. Was he that arrogant? Did he think he knew everything? That he confessed in this review that he'd never even read Appendix B of the Standing Orders, which sets the rules for the register. I mean, this is the only thing he had to do as an MP was sign this register. He never looked into what the rules were. What he was signing up, he just signed it blindly and falsely. Now, here's the key thing about Woods. He was the chief whip for the Labour Party. Now, the chief whip's job is to enforce good behaviour on all the members of the caucus in Parliament. And, of course, the biggie is the pecuniary interest register, funnily enough, because that's what they've got to sign. You'd make sure they, you'd be impressing upon them to read the rules and do it properly, if in doubt, contact. He didn't do it for himself. He was also deputy leader of the House, which means he's in every meeting where standing orders gets debated, where the rules of Parliament get debated, and he just scoffed at them in his own private capacity as an MP. He admitted that he never read the explanatory notes, which gave the examples and the guidance. He claims that in the 16 interactions he had with the Cabinet Office over his shareholding and airport shares, it never occurred to him to update the previous returns with the registrar. It's just, with the registry, it's just unbelievable. He claimed that he never noticed the dividends payments from the airport and contact as they just went straight into his bank account. Oh, there, yeah, someone just kept putting money in and, and I didn't notice. He claims that he didn't, he, it seems he was totally unaware of his duties of trustees under the Trust Act 2019, <laughs> which, by the way, was passed when he was a minister and that trustees can't delegate their powers, and that he misled the media when he said he'd corrected his declarations. He hadn't. It's impossible to believe that someone could be this arrogant or stupid or both. And he has brought total embarrassment upon the parliament. He should be found, of course, in contempt because he is in contempt, and Martin Weavers, in his bureaucratic language and investigation, makes that plain. And he should resign from Parliament in disgrace. And of course, for me, it's a little personal, because the idea that you would get up in our House of representative, Representatives and call people a river of filth while refusing to meet them is too disgusting. For that alone, <laughs> he should be gone. But 
that was within the rules. But his pecuniary interests weren't, his declaration wasn't. That's been found by literally the grand master of government, of bureaucracy, Sir Martin Weavers. He should go, go with embarrassment and find another line of work where he can rebuild the trust that people should have in him. Send us your thoughts, inbox at reallycheck.radio. Text me at 2057. Michael Woods, there is karma, isn't there? There is something that comes around, and we've certainly seen it with him. Thank you for listening. You've heard the words open, fair, both sides of the story. It's easy to say them, but practicing them often seems like a bridge too far. New Zealand, it's time for... A reality check. Reality check. RCR. Reality check radio. Rational discussion. Common sense. And open debate for real. With me, Paul Brennan. You know, you just can't make this stuff up. You couldn't write the script. Veteran broadcaster Peter Williams. Where is the evidence they actually make a difference? It turns out that was a very fair question to ask. Taking on the mainstream, Chantel Baker. Mainstream media, as usual, in their little perch. The man who cares so much and whose background is for real, Rodney Hyde. The doctors don't believe them. They can't get ACC. They can't work. They're told it's all in their head. Along with a raft of contributors to inform, entertain and bring the truth back to New Zealand media. It's time for a reality check, all right. RCR, Reality Check Radio at www.realitycheck.radio. We've arrived. You've been listening to Real Talk with Rodney Hyde on RCR, Reality Check Radio. You're on Reality Check Radio. It's been Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Thank you for listening in. What a wonderful morning we've had. Remember, you can email me at inbox at reallycheck.radio or Text us at 2057. If you'd like to support us, go across to our webpage. Our marvellous hearing from Alwood Paul and things that never occur to us and this idea that as parents, yes, we do have to take responsibility for our child's education. Yes, that does mean we have to push ourselves outside our comfort zone with school teachers and school principals in the school. What a shocking story from Bob McCroskey. I could still shake my head, you know, that... You have to have a petition about what is a woman in order to legislate it because people don't know what it is or can't define it. And that to run that petition is against the values of our mainstream news media who won't run paid-for ads, desperate for money that they are because it's against their values. What a world. And then we had those quick-fire questions from Tane Webster in Politics Explained. Thank you so much for listening in. Uh, It's wonderful to hear from you, so please do send us a message and stay listening. Have a wonderful weekend. We'll talk next week.